Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, celebrating 20 years of bringing the outdoors to Colorado radio, here's Terry Wickstrom. Good morning. It's beautiful out right now, but we're supposed to get some winds, and I guess the mountains are going to get some pretty incredible snow, and they already have. You know, it's really good we're seeing this snow on the mountains. Now, we need the moisture, especially down in the southwest, and the mountains have been getting a fair amount of snow. Hopefully that keeps up through the winter. And speaking of winter, ice fishing conditions are starting to show up. In fact, they're fishing up in North Park. I got reports uh, from Lake John of... uh, Five-plus inches of ice on Lake John and the Delaney's. Cowdery had some good ice in spots, but also had some open water. They have a little snow on the ice up there, so proceed with caution, but I think you can head up there. And I would check with the Lake John store. Just Google it. They always put out a great report. They're just uh, just the most uh, incredible people up there. So hopefully uh, you can get out. I, I, don't, I haven't been there yet, but I've heard reports that... Um, that West Lake at the Delaney's has been fishing. Uh, but please, if you go to any of these, these are secondhand reports. I haven't personally been out and checked the ice. And as you know, I don't believe there's any such thing as safe ice. If you want a guideline to ice conditions and what you should look for, and it strictly is a guideline, go to my uh, Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. And when you get there, you'll if you scroll down to my Denver Post articles, I have one that I put a couple ice fishing articles up there a couple weeks ago. You have to scroll down a bit. But the link to those has ice fishing conditions, recommended safe ice. Now, I don't ever say there's any such thing as safe ice. But what I do say is that ice fishing can be very safe as long as you use common sense. And if you go to YouTube, uh, my YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, we have a number of ice fishing shows there, and a number of them were filmed Right here on in the Colorado area, we have one at Lake John. We have one at North Michigan Reservoir. We have a couple out at the Red Feathers area. We have some at Granby. So there's a number of ice fishing shows on my YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. And uh, one of them, the Lake Michigan one, I really take a, an ice spud, an ice chisel out there and uh, and check for safe ice and show you kind of how to proceed and what I look for when I go out. That's my personally what I do. By the way, we're waiting for to be joined here shortly, hopefully by Bro Brosdahl, a famous ice fisherman. He's supposed to be calling in. Um, we're trying to get a hold of him right now. He's supposed to have contacted us. So hopefully Bro will be joining us here in just a few minutes. We'll, uh, we'll keep, uh, Karen will keep on it till we get a hold of him, I'm sure. But uh, and speaking of our our social media, YouTube uh, is uh, we talked about the ice fishing and there's lots of other shows there. But every time we put another video up on YouTube and they're not usually not brand new videos, they're legacy television shows that we've done in the past. But Karen puts a link to that on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. So you can go right to it. My Denver Post articles, when they come out weekly. Karen puts a link to those on the uh, Facebook page also. And that's the best way to read my articles online is to go to those, uh, those, um, the links that we put in, because a lot of times I have links in the article to, uh, uh, a podcast from the radio show or a video 
from one of our television shows. And, and a lot of times in some of the aspects, when you get it directly from different aspects of the post, obviously the printed version, you can't get the links. They may show them in there, but then you have to go back and enter them. And sometimes on the app, they follow through okay and they're there, and sometimes they're not. But you always get all the links if you follow the online version that you get through my Facebook page. Another thing, we post trivia uh, answers on my Facebook page, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. I mean, on uh, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. And those trivia questions become answers to win great prizes, great, great prizes that that are... um, that you can win right here. In fact, we might give one away today. Now, we have a short show today. We have a short, short show today, so make sure that you... uh, We're going to only have an hour, then we have the Michigan game, so if you think you might know the trivia answer, you might want to hang on. If you don't... And and next week, Ronnie Castiglione is going to fill in while I'm in Hawaii, but let's go to the phones now. Joining us, one of the premier ice fishermen... And if you've uh, picked up a magazine or seen an article or a commercial about ice fishing gear, you've seen this uh, this uh, redheaded guy with the goatee, and he's always got a big smile, and he's usually holding a big fish. He's one of the most accomplished anglers I've had the pleasure of spending time on the water with. I fished with him both both ice fishing and open water. In fact, uh, those episodes are on my YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. He's been a many-time contributor to this radio show. It's Brian Bro Brosdahl. Good morning, Brian. Hey, good morning, Terry. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you? Hey, doing really well, uh, enjoying a little winter climate here, and the ice is starting to form, and people are excited to get on the ice. Yeah, you guys got a fairly early winter in Minnesota, too. We've got ice. I Just before you came on, was giving a report. We've got several mountain lakes that are showing uh, five to six inches of ice already here, and people are out oh. there catching big rainbows, and so it's on here. That's awesome. And it's same here. The, the bigger waters are still... Uh, the ice is shifting and moving, and people still want to get out there. But all the the, the shallower or uh, smaller lakes are are really well are well off and starting. I, I'd say there were two three weeks ahead. Well, Greg, Greg Claudio and I used to host an event called the Minnesota Masters of Ice Fishing back in the eighties and early nineties, and uh, we always held it on Thanksgiving. And we would find small lakes frozen on Thanksgiving. And one of the reasons we quit having that is because we went through several years where we didn't know if we were going to have good ice on Thanksgiving. But, boy, Thanksgiving's as early as it can be this year, and people are out fishing. Absolutely. I was on one body of water where I had 7 to 9 inches of ice and maybe even more by shore. But, I mean, it was just you, you get 7 inches of ice under your drill. I don't even drill any farther. Yeah. You know, it's just you're, you're, you're set. and. But every lake's different. Uh, some of the deeper lakes froze over a little later and had two inches of ice on them, but they're completely covered. Uh, the, the the climate change, Minnesota's kind of a rectangular, odd-shaped state that from north to south. And as I was leaving the north country to head to southern Minnesota, we started out, we were in the 32 to 33 degrees. And by the time we got to southern Minnesota, it was 46. Yeah. So the, there there is a temperature gradient change from northern Minnesota to southern Minnesota. And as you get to the the top third of the state, a lot of the sloughs and small waters have they're they're, they're great ice and but uh, you, you got to check it for yourself. Uh, if I just watch the news, I'd never go ice fishing. I'd be scared to death because everybody's trying to go on these two hundred thousand acre lakes that have ice shifting around. But 
you know, it is just common sense. Bring your safety gear and read ice yep. by, uh, by punching a hole through it or using a, a, a chisel. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about ice fishing. Now, you've been involved in the ice fishing movement for many, many years. You came in a little after me because I'm about a week older than you. But <laughs> <laughs> no. maybe a little You're more. Young. Maybe a little more than that. But, you know, I remember how the shelters and the electronics just revolutionized ice fishing. And we've had some other guests on. We've talked about that. And I don't think anything is ever going to rival what being mobile and what using electronics did. But the equipment keeps getting better and the tactics and techniques get more refined. What are a couple of the things you've seen in the recent years that have really taken it to another level again? Well, in in electronics, uh, like in AquaView cameras uh, with HD, uh, so you can actually see even in dingy water and green screen remover, which actually makes dirty water clear. Uh, And then as far as small pocket-sized cameras that you can hang on on bars and parts of your fish house, but that have a reel on them that you just reel in and you never get any wet fingers. You don't get punished for using it by getting cold fingers. And But being able to see what's going on uh, and watch the fish take the lure, take the barb in, then you set the hook. Sometimes they bump it, you set the hook, and you miss the fish, and then the fish doesn't come back. Well, that's one of the big things. And then, you know, just uh, sonars like uh, Humminbird that looks to the side. Side imaging is... Uh, one of their uh, their babies, they invented it. In side imaging, you could actually see the fish to the side. Even in the wintertime, if you put the transducer down the hole, and I've done this for years, you could see side imaging, the landscape warps, but the fish show perfect as shadows, and you know where to drill the hole. No, it's just, it really is, it's just the technologies have come so far. Um, you know, one of the things, I want to move on to some other things before we run out of time, but... Yes. The, the camera technologies you mentioned also, the fact that ice fishing lends itself to the use of the camera probably the more than any other fishing. You can use them open water, but you've got this environment where the water's, you're not moving on the water, so you can really get a controlled situation. And I don't use a camera every time I ice fish, but there's a lot of times where I just use the camera and watch while Karen's jigging or something next to me. You just learn so much, bro. Oh, absolutely. I think it's it's a game changer and uh, just, uh, you know, just all the different angles of viewing what the fish are doing or seeing what kind they are. But uh, even seeing, you know, just the insect life at the bottom of the lake or how perch will root up uh, insects out of the mud or, or trout, how they, how they never stop swimming. They seem to be just constantly just swimming around and just uh, just the use of it. But when the fish takes it, it's better than any bobber. It's reality, and then you know when to set the hook. I think that that really changes it. But still, if the fish ain't gonna bite, they still have that built-in switch, you know. And sometimes it is hard to trigger them, but it does help you figure out what's missing in yeah, your presentation. Karen once told me we were watching with the camera, and I was jigging, and a fish sucked my lure in, and she looked at me. and She goes, "Maybe you should set the hook." And she- <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, you, know, you oh, get sometimes awesome. you get so enamored just watching, you know. But I've oh, got some it, great experiences I'm going to share in shows coming up where I've studied the fish behavior and reaction to the lure. Don't have a lot of time for that today, but I want to get to something else that I think is really the we used to take 
what was what we found left over from jigs and rods and things like that and make our ice fishing gear. And then the ice fishing jigs came. But what about presentations? What are some of the things you're seeing now in presentations over just the last few years that have really improved? Well, just uh, the micro detail of baits, you know, even in Northland Fishing Tackle, uh, the uh, skeleton minnow, such a soft, fragile bait, but it looks like reality. It looks like a looks like a bloodworm imitation, but the skeleton minnow gives it a catchy name. And uh, just a soft poured plastic has become better than bait because it's actually imitating what's down there. And and you put a waxy on and don't do nothing with it. It's just like a stick on your hook. It doesn't move. Or uh, maggots, you know, they're a smaller piece of bait. Scent is great, but if you get scented plastics, uh, crappies, trout are visual feeders. And there's been many times that I've been fishing for for rainbows and they won't even hit night crawlers that people are throwing or spinners or flies and you'll throw a bloodworm the bloodworm my first design out there and they just swim right at it and eat it because that's the bait that they were targeting and every fly tire knows you got to match the hatch well you could do that with plastics and plastics look like what they really want and then add scent to it and there's really no no reason to use bait all the time you know, unless you're walleye fishing and they come up and bump the hook because they want, you know, a minnow. But uh, it's it's really changed things. And then high-definition rods like the Bro Series rods or really thin, super strong lines. I'm using one-pound test again because uh, there's some game-changer line companies like Sunline with fluorocarbon for ice. It's, it's so thin. I can't tie it outside. I have to do it before I leave or bring my cheaters. I can't even see the stuff hardly. It's so thin. But... You're fishing and everything is natural or it's it's too good to believe. And then the visual feeders are just chowing on this stuff. And then, you know, there there is a time and a place uh, for bait, but it's becoming less and less. You know, and you mentioned the blood worm. Uh, I used to use, uh, I use a lot of artificials and I was using a lot of imitations of waxies and maggots. And I really have gone to a blood worm as my first go-to plastic presentation or soft bait for ice fishing. It is just fantastic. Before I let you go, though, there's one other thing that you and I have talked about, and that's the use of luminescence in ice fishing, whether it's glow jigs or, or light sticks. What have you seen happening there? Well, and that's really neat stuff, and I used to mess around with the old uh, Silum light sticks that you use for bobbers. I used to put them on my line. And I seen a trend, but it was it was kind of awkward, and yet you had to have the right ways to attach it. But it did work. But what I'm seeing now with Northland is using actual micro light sticks that they put in their flutter spoons, and then now they have a jig, a single hook, and uh, the jig is nice for a dead stick. But I use them in open water. I, they gave me something to mess around, and I used them under slip cork with leeches and minnows in the summertime, and they work phenomenal. Even during the day, the the fish key in on that and they swim towards it. They're a simple creature, uh, and they'll they'll swim towards stuff like that. But when you get right around sunset, when the perch normally stop biting, they keep biting because they can see it, and they just inhale it. So as far as I'll, just about every fish out there is attracted to some form of light, and it doesn't have to be just glow. You could you could flash a, a, a glow paint and pigment on your lure, but now you take UV, which has a nice uh, coating that fish could see and nature can see, now you, you put a light stick in there, and then you have glow. Well, now, it doesn't have to be just crazy glow, but that, that light stick, the fish key in on it, and they come to it. And then cadence is is, is the rest of it, but sometimes you don't even have to move it. Yeah, and, no, uh, 
Go ahead. You're, no, you're, you're absolutely right. I think it's and, – and, and you like you said, too, it's in the daylight, too, because a lot of times there's not a lot of light penetration, especially if you're fishing dark during ice. Bro, I'd love to sit and talk to you for hours. There's just so much we could cover. We'll get you on again maybe later in the ice fishing season because I want to go over some other techniques with you. But thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. You guys be safe on the ice. All right, thank you. That's Brian Bro Brosdahl, a great, great ice fisherman, and just a lot of great information there. We can, we'll make sure that this podcast gets up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We are going right to the phones. And joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Jason Deach. Good morning, Jason. Good morning, Terry. Well, it's a beautiful day out right now. I guess it might change, but, uh, you know, if it's going to bring snow to the high country, I'm all for it because we need every drop of water we can get. But uh, it's still nice to enjoy the sunshine on this holiday weekend. Hey, you, you, you're uh, administrating a program uh, through Parks and Wildlife that's involved with hunter outreach. And I don't think a lot of people understand the different things that Parks and Wildlife do to, to maintain and grow our outdoor community and to make sure that we have resources and keep things going. But how does hunter outreach differ from hunter ed or hunter planning? I mean, you've got all these resources. Yeah, that's right, Terry. So the hunter outreach program was started about, oh, 15 years ago or so. Uh, and the agency realized that, you know, obviously with it's, it's no secret that, uh, well, over 60% of our revenue comes from uh, license sales. And uh, with that in mind, uh, we need to do our part to make sure that we keep recruiting and retaining our hunters, make sure that they know the resources that we have out there. So uh, simply not just getting them in a, a hunter education course, but, uh, but the outreach portion of it. And so the outreach program is looking for those folks that maybe didn't grow up in a traditional uh, you know, family that, that had a bunch of hunters in it, uh, that, that me or you grew up in. Um, uh, so they didn't have, you know, someone to take them out, a mentor, if you will. Um, so we, we look for those kind of folks and we look to get them into programs or, or, uh, get them in on the spectrum of, of outreach as far as, you know, some folks, maybe all they need is, is to, you know, a few educational videos online or maybe to talk to someone on the phone. Um, all the way through, you know, we have our uh, a group of volunteers that um, that people can apply for a hunt and, and we'll take them on a hunt. Um, so we try to get folks through that spectrum uh, on their on their journey of uh, becoming a, a member of the hunting community. No, and I agree with you 100 percent. And I want to touch back again what you said on the financial part. The North American model of conservation for for over a uh, 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 decades and decades for over a century has been based on that the hunter and fishermen and the license holders help pay for the the administration of our habitat and our wildlife and not just the huntable wildlife but the watchable wildlife and the endangered wildlife and it's been a good model that's worked but in order for it to keep working we need to keep bringing people in and i know sometimes hunters and fishermen can go i don't want more people i want it to myself well if we approach it that way, eventually we'll have nothing for anybody because we need that money to support it. And I also, if people have listened to this show, know I'm evangelistic about getting youth, especially (laughs) outdoors, because there's a different value system that comes with it. And there's a bonding between friends and family and memories are created that are unparalleled with any other activity, really. 
Yeah, that's very true. And, um, yeah, we, we definitely see that in our programs. Um, we, we definitely do a lot of outreach to youth, and we're starting to expand that as well um, because we realize that, well, if we can't get the families involved or if we don't uh, get young adults involved, um, you know, those young adults are going to have – a lot of them are going to have families eventually. And if we can get them on that path and, and, and understanding the value of, of, of uh, hunting and angling – uh, at a younger age, uh, boy, it's it's super. Uh, it's definitely very important, very beneficial uh, for them mentally, physically. Um, there's just so many memories that are created, and it's good for you. Uh, you know, in any, any way you look at it. Well, you know, one of the things I want to touch on too. Now, I know there are big game mentoring hunts, and there's organizations that help with big game. But a lot of what you do in the hunter outreach focuses on small game, and I think that is such an uh, an ideal way to approach it because, first of all, we have our walk-in access, which gives us a lot of public game, public land, or it's private land, but access to land to hunt small game. And then you usually do it with smaller caliber firearms, so you're not as concerned about learning the recoil and you're more comfortable you know, with the, with the firearm and things like that. And there's not the intensity. If you're hunting an elk, and you miss that one opportunity, or you might not even get an opportunity, uh, you might be done for the year no matter how hard you hunt. If you're hunting rabbits or pheasants or grouse or some other form of small game, uh, there's probably going to be a chance for another shot. Yeah, that's right, Terry. The you know small game, it just makes sense. And so many of us, um, that's how we started. But, but uh, you know, a lot of times... And a lot of times too, it's it's easier to to take a friend along, you know. And I encourage all your listeners, um, you know, if they haven't mentored someone before, to to take take a friend hunting, and that's that's what we need more of. And and it just makes sense, you know. The the seasons are longer, the licenses are are less expensive, the ammunition is less expensive. It's a little bit more forgiving, as far as there's just more of them. Uh, you mentioned the the, the, the walk-in access, uh, which is great. And we also just have a lot of public land in Colorado uh, to the west as well. So a lot of Forest Service and BLM lands to access. And, uh, you know, beautiful mornings like this are, are perfect opportunities, uh, especially when you have family visiting from out of town. And, uh, boy, it's just it, it makes sense. And uh, it's it's a great way to to uh, get your feet wet as far as uh, hunting hunting goes. Uh, small game is, is definitely a, a great option. And, and getting back to what you said earlier, as far as, ah, you know, I don't know if we want, you know, we don't want the hills crawling with, with, a, with hunters. Well, yeah, I, I, I certainly understand that. But again, with small game hunting, that's another way where, uh, you know, there's, we, we, we don't have that issue with small game hunting, uh, where you're going to be walking on top of other people, uh, with, when you're, when you're out there, small game hunting, uh, for the most part, it's it people, uh, you know, it's 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 just we just don't have that issue. Now I want to touch. We're we're going to run out of time quickly here because we have a short show today, but I'll extend a little bit because I want to touch on a couple things too. First of all, um, what you said, every sportsman who loves the outdoors should have some responsibility to get his friends and family to some degree involved so that we can maintain the great heritage and resources we have. You have to give back, pay it forward a little bit, help somebody. Everybody needs a mentor. The reason people don't get into the outdoors either don't know how or they don't have access. We've got access here, so somebody needs to teach them how. But why don't you tell us quickly some of the programs you have as far as whether you have seminars, you have hunts. Tell us what you do have, but tell us again how limited your resources are. 
Yeah. Um, so, so it's a, I'm the only full-time staff as far as for the outreach, hunter outreach program goes. So I rely heavily on our volunteers, um, uh, and they do an amazing job. Um, and then within that program, you know, one of the first things I did, uh, is we revamped our webpage and I'd encourage all your listeners to, to go to the, the cpwstate.co.us, uh, forward slash hunter outreach and, and check that out. Uh, we have a lot of great stuff on there. There's a woman of field program, a novice hunter program, uh, youth hunter outreach, the rookie sportsman, which is based out of the Colorado Springs area. Uh, one of the field, of course, is, is geared towards, uh, women getting into hunting. The novice hunter program is geared towards, uh, pheasant hunting. That's one of the few programs where adults, um, can get in on it. And all these programs I'm mentioning, uh, there's an application period. Um, most of these are closed because we have, you know, all of our hunts are, are in gear, in motion, or already occurred for this fall. But, but we still have clinics and seminars coming up as well. And, and uh, we, have, we have a few more before the end of the year. So these are things that are occurring at, at different businesses or maybe at one of our offices where people can sign up and, and, uh, and come and learn more. And we just did a small game 101 here last week uh, at Shields. It was great. Um, and you know, those opportunities are coming up all the time. We also have, um, uh, Elk Hunting University Turkey School and ed- more educational videos. We're putting more on uh, as we develop those. Um, but, but again, uh, check out that webpage and check it out, you know, every few weeks or once a month and see, uh, what new things we're putting on there because, uh, we're, we're doing our best to try to, um, get those resources out there to help folks out. Now, as far as volunteers, I'm not going to get into that. I'm sure they can go to these pages and find places to volunteer. But what about corporate and affinity group sponsors? Can we reach out to them? What more can they be doing? Yeah, you know, uh, we're, we're getting to a point where I think we're all realizing both sides of the table here, meaning NGOs and, and, and uh, organizations, uh, agencies, uh, businesses realize that we need to help each other out a little bit more here to to get that message spread out. Um, and I think as we as we find programs that are working, uh, meaning that are that are helping to move the needle, uh, you know, if we can come to businesses then and and and, and ask for for specific help, um, I think that we're gonna we're gonna do much better uh, uh, at you know helping to support the cause and. and and uh, do better for for the outdoors, uh, do better for future generations. So we're we're heading that way, and uh, I certainly encourage you know more uh, whether they're NGOs or uh, businesses, and to help us out. And uh, we've made great strides in the last couple of years, and I just want to keep that going. Now we got to run; we're over time. But if there's a partner, a potential partner out there that wants to see how they can help, how would they contact you? Um, you can uh, you can go to um, Hunter Outreach at state.co.us and uh, send an email that way. And uh, otherwise, you just call any one of us or at at, at Colorado Parks and Wildlife, and uh, they'll get us. They'll get you in touch with the right person. All right, Jason, we've got to run, but thank you so much. It's a great program, and we certainly throw our support behind it. Thanks, Jerry. Appreciate it. That's Jason Deach from Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Hey, we're going to take the time out. When we come back, we're going to find out about some changes to the reservation uh, options for Colorado Parks and Wildlife and get an update from Ridgeway Reservoir on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. 
Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. We are going right to the phones because we know we're going to get our weekend brightened up because we're going to have one of the most enthusiastic and cheerful people from Colorado Parks and Wildlife. We haven't had her on for a while, but she's always like a breath of fresh air and a cup of coffee, and that's, that's uh, Kirsten Copeland from Ridgeway. Good morning. Good morning, Terry. Happy holidays. Happy. Did you like that intro? Yes. <laughs> well, you know what? You do, great. though. You always have such enthusiasm for your park and for the outdoors. We love having you on. A couple things we want to cover with you, though. We want to cover the park and what's going on there. And then we want to cover some changes to the um, the the reservation system. Let's do the reservation system first. There's some changes going into effect the first of the year for several parks. Tell us about that. Yeah, I think it's a great opportunity for folks to try a couple different things. Um, Some of the parks in Colorado State Parks and Parks and Wildlife are going to go to a reservations only, is what we're calling it, type system. And it means that um, for folks that want to stay at any of those campgrounds, they can call or go online 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and they can make a reservation. And what's really neat about it is it's immediate. You can make it that moment and forward. Um, Our current reservation system has been frustrating for some customers because they would have to make a reservation the fourth night out and after up to six months. And that for them, when they were trying to make plans more spontaneously, was really challenging. They'd call us, they'd see how many sites we had, they'd take that risk if we were down to just a few sites. And we've had to turn people away. And I know other parks have too. So for customer service and kind of the new era of folks doing things um, really on the moment, both on their smart devices and over the phone, we feel like this is going to be a really good transition for Ridgeway. Now, not every state park is going to go to it. Um, There's five state parks that are on it currently. They went in July of 18, and then Ridgeway and several others are going to start in January as our campgrounds open. Now, when you, can you find the information on each park's website to find out? And if they're not on yes. this, are you still restrained by the same, it's first come, first serve, and you can't make a reservation at the moment? That is correct, yeah. So, so there's going to be both, and I think check on your individual park's website or give them a call. I think all of us, our goal is to be super customer service oriented on this to make sure that our folks are successful regardless of which system the park is on. So when you go to one of the parks, it's on the new system, which um, you, when you get there, if I'm there, you know, I can obviously nowadays you want to call ahead or make your reservation ahead. But if I just happen to be driving around and there's a, uh, a spot, I can reserve that spot right there that day, right? Right at that moment. And you can do it on your smart device or on a 1-800 number. When we went to our new call center, they operate 24 hours a day. So it gave us the flexibility to have that as an option that people can call if they can't get data service. Now, is there a reservation fee? No, there is not um, now going to be a separate fee so that folks, you know, can choose to use either system, and there's really not going to be a financial difference. So really, the whole goal is when you get there, we want you to be able to have a spot, know it's there. Or if you are there and there's a spot, we want you to be able to grab that spot. But you can't just pull in first come, first serve at the parks that are on this new system. And I would think eventually most of the parks will go to this unless they're just not heavily used. Which, But you get uh, a lot of campers out year-round anymore, don't you? We do. We have a lot more winter camping than we used to, and we had already put a handful of sites on reservations for the last couple of years, and we're really surprised at how often folks would take that opportunity. So 
um, for us, this is kind of just going in the same direction that we were already going. And I think that that is maybe something more and more folks are going to do a combination of people that want to winter camp for various reasons. And also there's full timers now that instead of staying south all winter, they want to see some of the country when it's in, you know, it's winter garb and, and experience that. So we see a variety. Oh, you're absolutely right. Let's talk about Ridgeway because I know that's near and dear to your heart. You have winter camping there, right? And you have yurts too, I believe. We do. Um, we have three yurts. And so those are like little round cabins and they're really cozy. I've stayed in them as well. And then we have electric RV sites that are open year-round, as well as a heated flush restroom. And then we also have, if people are really brave, we do have some walk-in tent sites where you can walk across the Uncompahgre River and uh, get into those sites and really feel like you're off the grid there. Well, and when you stay at Ridgeway, you've got access. You've got so much in the area, don't you? We do, actually. Our area, the San Juan Mountains and Uray and Telluride, are kind of a winter mecca. And people often will stay at our park and then go out and do all the things that include course skiing. But we have two hot springs that are right near us. We also have um, an ice park that's become world-renowned for folks that are learning because they have a lot of clinics and and, uh, teaching opportunities, but also some expert ice climbers. They specifically groom the ice for that purpose. Um, and it's right in your race. So you can do a little ice climbing, get in the hot springs, and then come back to the park. Now let's talk a little bit about current conditions because people, we have a lot of pent up demand for ice fishing this year because we had such a mild winter last year. A lot of people didn't get out. Now I know your water levels are low because we all know the Southwest didn't get a lot of snow. Are you starting to get more snow? You're kind of in a banana belt. Do you get ice fishing at Ridgeway? Kind of fill us in. Okay. So um, we do get ice reliably in a couple areas of the park. Um, One that would be best for ice fishing is what we call Mears Bay, and it's right where the main boat ramp is, which is not open for boat launching, but it is a great place for folks to get out on the ice. And we do check the ice, and um, so people can ice fish there. Rest of the reservoir um, is kind of conditions dependent, and I would say it freezes over about one every three to five years, um, but it's not an every year scenario like some of the other parks are. Um, but if you came to us, you could probably ice fish after January in that Mears Bay area. What kind of fish? We have two fishing ponds, too. So. And what kind of fish would you catch there ice fishing? Um, trout, for sure. We have, uh, you know, rainbows, browns. Um, we actually have... Uh, uh, I'm trying to think, splake trout. Um, and then uh, we also have perch. And it seems to me when I've talked to a lot of ice fishermen at Ridgeway that that's a lot of, for some reason, what folks are going for during the winter. Is oh, the perch. perch are a great ice fishing target. People love them. They taste good. They're active during the ice. You know, on fishing your lake, there's also a chance that one of those huge browns are being eaten, those perch. Yes, absolutely. It's Browns are better when it's colder. And you have park. big browns. Tell people the biggest brown that came out of that lake. So the biggest brown was 24 and a half pounds and 33 inches, I believe, long. Um, and that's been a few years. And uh, that guy comes back and, and generally gets good browns every year. Um, they are best right as the ice is coming off. The best brown fishing at Ridgeway is uh, we open March 15th for boating anyway. And then uh, the best are usually caught in late March, April. And by the time it starts getting warm in May, it tapers off a little bit. All right. We've got to run, but you also have good tailwater fishing year-round there too, right? Yes. We have a great tailwater section for fly and artificial lures, and it has been good all year. And 
of course, because it's controlled by us, um, it's generally something that the fishing stays good at all year round. So. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for the update on camping, and hopefully a lot of people will get to Ridgeway. Great. Thank you, Terrence. You bet. That's uh, Kirsten from Copeland from Ridgeway Park. Before we go to break, we're going to have Kirk Bean coming up from Kirk's Fly Shop in just a minute here. But before we go to this break, I want you to know that we put uh, the answer to our tidbits of trivia for the week on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. The question is, before when I started this radio show in 1998, the fan came to town a couple of years before that. And for a short period of time, somebody else did an outdoor show on the fan for a few months, maybe a year. I want you to name who that person was. And the first one to text at 303-713-1043, the name of that other person that did that first outdoor radio show on the fan is going to get a gift certificate from Honey Smoked Salmon worth almost $100. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. I want to go right to the phones. We have a short show today, so we're going to end at the top of the hour. But I wanted to get a good friend of ours on because he's got some great Christmas ideas for you. And that's Kirk from Kirk's Fly Shop. Kirk, you got something coming up. Unfortunately, I can't attend. I'm headed for Hawaii next week. But in a couple weeks, what do you got going on? Uh, We got our open house, annual open house, um, on December 8th. And what goes on there that anybody would bother driving up to Estes for that? Well, we got some uh, great tires and uh, authors uh, like John Gearock, Josh Grafham, Stephen Schweitzer, Marty Bartholomew, and Rick Takahashi that will sign books and tie some flies. And we also got a deal that goes all day long where you can buy any one item for 50% off in the store. And how do you get that deal? All you got to do is say you heard us on Terry Wickstrom. Yeah, and if you say you heard it on Terry Wickstrom, <laughs> I mean, I'm talking, so if, you, if there's a $500 fly rod I want, I can get it for 250 yeah, anything you want. So one item. That's tremendous. And let me, I want to expound, too, on those authors. Now, I tease about some of them because they're friends of mine, almost all of them, and I, I love them all. But what a great Christmas gift. You got the fly fisherman in your family. You don't know what to get them for a gift. So you get them a book personalized from one of these authors. And these guys, we can't even go through the list of books, starting with Schweitzer's you know, Guide to Rocky Mountain National Park, Gierich's, all his books are so fun to read, and the fly fishing guides, the tying guides. These guys are the cream of the crop of authors, and they live right here in Colorado. And you can get these books personalized to you, buy them at the store, or buy one for yourself if you want. But it's just, and, and you have other deals in the store too, right? Yeah, and on top of that, 20% off everything else in store. And then we also can give, you can also get a half-off fishing trip. So tell us again <laughs> the dates and time. It's on uh, December 8th. From 2 to 5 is the festivities. The deals go all day long. All right, so 2 to 5 on the uh, 12th, right? You got it. 12th. No, no, uh, I mean on the 8th. On the 8th, okay, very good. Yeah, you're right, I'm off the day. So 2 to 12 on the 8th. <laughs> My friend, we've got to run, but we'll make sure we mention it again uh, one more time so people get up there. But half off one any one item by just saying my name. You know, it's the first time my name's been worth that much. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Thanks, Kirk. 30 seconds. How's the river fishing? It's fishing really good downstream. We've got a lot of open water still. Um, little tiny midges are working great on uh, the Thompson. I tell you what, you and I have tore them up on that river in the winter, haven't we? We have. We've done pretty good. All right. Thanks, Kirk. Thanks, Terry. You bet. Kirk Bean from Kirk's Fly Shop. What a great guy. And imagine, so you want to get that 
you know, expensive waders, that high-end fly rod. You go there on the 8th and mention my name, and you get it at half price. Tell me that's not worth the drive up to Estes. So mark that on your calendar. Hey, we're going to have to take off. We've got a short show today, but I want to talk about our trivia. The answer to our trivia, uh, if you do have known us, of course, if you follow us on Facebook at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, was Charlie Myers, the great Charlie Myers. When the fan first came to town, for a few months, it may have been even for a year, Charlie did the outdoor show on the fan. Charlie kind of decided that his schedule didn't allow him to really do the show on a full-time basis. So they contacted me, and in 2000 and, uh, two, uh, 1998, rather, I started uh, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on the fan. But one of the stipulations was that Charlie would be a regular part of the show. And he called in every week from somewhere in the field, usually. And he has been a mentor of mine, both in writing and in radio. And what a great man. And, and you know, this time of year, we think about a lot of the people that have affected our lives. Uh, Charlie it was just a tremendous individual that touched so many lives in the outdoor world here in Colorado. And there were so many mentors that helped me come along. So hopefully we can mentor a few people along the way. But some we have a winner. The winner that got the name right, Charlie Myers, did the outdoor show on the fan just prior to me. And they get a gift certificate from Honey Smoked Fish Company for uh, smoked salmon that's going to be shipped right to their house. Now, the gift certificate's worth almost $100 because it includes shipping, but you're going to get a bunch of different flavors. You get to pick them out and, and turn them in. And if you take the honey smoked salmon, is so good. What a great gift during the holidays. You can have it out as dip. You can make dips out of it. You can just put it out to eat. People come over. Just a great hors d'oeuvre. Or just put it as an ingredient. Make healthier food. Maybe don't pack on quite as much weight over this holiday season. We're going to take off. Remember... Follow us on Facebook at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. And there's lots of ice fishing on my YouTube channel at The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. But on Facebook, you're going to get posts from all of those different... uh, Every time we put a new video up, every time an article comes out in the post, if we're going to have a guest like Bro Brosdahl, who was on today, you'd know that by following us on Facebook. Next week, uh, unfortunately, I'm on assignment in Hawaii. We will have a two-hour show, but I won't be here. Uh, Ronnie Castiglione is going to fill us in. Ronnie's an incredible angler. I'm sure he's going to have a great lineup of guests and a lot of, lot of information. But I don't want anybody to feel sorry that I'm heading off to Hawaii. It's my duty to go check this out next week and make sure that there's good fishing so you guys can go there and enjoy it. But we do appreciate all of you that tune in, and I'll be back the week after that. We're going to talk more ice fishing, more Christmas gifts through the month of December. we got a lot to cover. We'll have the full lineup back and next week and the week after that. We're going to let the uh, Eagles take us to the top of the hour and Michigan-Ohio State football on 104.3 The Fan. Thank you guys so much. There she stood in the doorway.